Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Another great episode uh, underway, episode 73. Brought back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. We're going to get into some NFC South NFL preview action. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, what's poppin', Benny? Man, it's nice to get back into this, the swing and the routine of things. You know, we're, uh, we really thrived, I thought, last year. Like, we, we've done a lot of good things here at ATA so far, and we're obviously a young company. But our obvious strength, our biggest success so far as a company and as in our creative endeavors thus far um, has definitely been our football analysis and our work here on the Vicious Talk with Benny P podcast and just going over all this stuff with football. And um, it's nice to be back into the swing of things with you. And uh, you know, it, things are starting to feel normal again. And the first episode, we've already gotten some good reviews on it. And I think we're, you know, hitting our stride now going to the next to the next division. Oh, absolutely. I mean, let me just talk briefly about our successes last year in football, since you brought it up. Um, Champion of our fantasy league, Ben Perez. Um, But we had Ben's best bets, which were hitting the gambling lines. We did a great job on every week and we we occasionally had an article, but we're definitely going to make that a regular thing now. Uh, Additionally, we were crushing it in DFS for sure. I think 70% of our lineups cashed in. We're running that back this year. And last year, I had an early prediction on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl in September. And I mean, talk about a huge win right there. And And so that's what we're hoping to bring it back. And you did in in the beginning of the playoffs you're right and you had the bucks in the playoff bracket so i mean if you want to talk about some astute analysis that was very fruitful in terms of our listeners if they actually followed through on our advice they definitely made a lot of money and i I feel like we're going to bring that energy and we're going to bring that analysis this year again so i'm i'm excited our first episode got the juices flowing and i think we're right back on track definitely hitting our stride here episode uh, 73 is going to be the NFC South preview for the upcoming 2020, 20, uh, sorry, 2021-22 season. And let's kick it off with the Atlanta Falcons, Connor. The uh, We're going to go just in alphabetical order, so no particular order here. But the Atlanta Falcons, they're an interesting team coming into the season. Their their 2020 record was 4-12, and 12, kind of a deceiving, deceivingly poor record last year. They were a pretty feisty team at times that really just – had a lot of bad luck late in games, and we could, we'll talk about that. Their over-under win total for the upcoming year is seven and a half. They're plus 900 to win this division. They brought in Mike Davis, the bowling ball running back, who was an excellent Christian McCaffrey replacement last year for the Carolina Panthers. Goes into Atlanta now. It's going to be the primary back there. They brought in Cordell Patterson, you know, the Swiss Army knife on offense. Don't know how effective he's going to be this late in his career, but he was decent last last year at times with Chicago. Lee Smith at tight end. Uh, Eric Harris, the safety. Barcavius Mingo, the edge rusher. So not too much roster movement. Really, uh, the story of the Falcons offseason was they just got really hammered by a lot of salary cap problems. They're still over on the cap. Their their money f- situation is very um, alarming for the franchise. And so they're definitely trying to, uh, you know, get that under control this season and going forward. They lost the excellent wide receiver, always excellent, Julio Jones. Went over to Tennessee in the AFC. Alex Mack, the center. Charles Harris on the edge rush and Kamante uh, Casey. I always I can never pronounce that first name. The safety. Quite a tongue so, twister. Yeah. 
what are your thoughts here kind of initially with the Atlanta well, Falcons heading to the well, One of the losses you mentioned, and this might be um, addition by subtraction, was the former head coach, Dan Quinn. And I think you touched on it very early on when you say they had a very misleading record at 4-12 and 12 last year yeah. because they were in so many games. They were leading so many games. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily talent on the roster that determined the outcome of the game, but a lot of head coaching gaffes that led to a lot of lost games that were very attainable. I mean, we're talking about Matt Ryan. He's, he's a very steady performer at quarterback. They bring back Calvin Ridley. They add in Kyle Pitts. I think this team can definitely at least perform closer to expectations. And I think last year was definitely on the unlucky side more than anything. Yeah. They, their uh, late game antics were incredibly I mean, quote unquote, unlucky. But when you look at some of the stats, and we'll dive deep into some of these, it was somewhat explainable to as to there there was reasonings behind what was going on with Atlanta. They lost eight of ten one score games last year. They 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 were only able to win two of those ten one score games. So they were just constantly losing these close matchups. They had the lead in five five fourth quarters with under two minutes left to play, and they lost those five Wow. Minutes. Yeah, so they they lost five fourth quarter leads within two minutes left in the game. That's inc- that's insane. That that never happens. Like, I, I, I don't know. You have to try to right be now. doing that. They're shaving yeah. points. That's ridiculous. That's, that's incredible. And my thought here is, obviously, there's a lot of unluckiness that has to be in, ingrained into the reasonings behind why this happened. But honestly... The main, the main culprit, the main finger you could point to, um, you know, why they were just choking so late in games last year is because, look, Atlanta was actually a pretty good passing offense last year, but really they could not run the ball one bit. They couldn't run in the lick. They, they were so They had the corpse of Todd Gurley out there. It was it was embarrassing the way they were running the ball, and that's easily the reason why they were losing late leads. Like, I mean, because how do you get to an early lead? You pass the ball. You get you get the you. That was uh, that no it, for Atlanta specifically. Each offense, you know, has its own strengths. Atlanta's strength was throwing the football, but when you mm-hmm. throw the football, you're not killing clock when you have a lead. And so when they get out to the big leads with by passing the football, how do you hold them? You run the ball, and you have to run it efficiently, and you have to milk the clock out. And that was not happening, in Atlanta. In 2020, you just you can't you, you can argue that Atlanta didn't play well with the lead late in games because they absolutely couldn't run it efficiently. They had negative negative 0.09 EPA per attempt on 3.4 carries and a 42% success rate in second half runs. That's terrible. And they ran the ball 61% of the time in the fourth quarter on early downs. So when you're running that that poorly and you're that inefficient running the ball and you run the ball also 61% of the time, that's not conducive to to late the late game heroics at all. Well, I mean, where are the analytics guys that are calling that out that are saying they where are the money ball guys saying midseason, uh I think we need to switch up our strategy. Something doesn't yeah. look very successful in the fourth quarter game plan right now. And you know what a, a pretty neat comparison I saw was and it, it was 
like in terms of the offensive strengths, you know, Buffalo actually had similar offensive strengths to Atlanta last year. But the difference with Buffalo was they were both Buffalo and Atlanta were both very inefficient running the running the football. But the difference with Buffalo was they knew they had a bad rushing attack, so they just continued to throw the ball with leads. They they let they put the ball in their best player's hands, Josh Allen, and he was incredibly accurate with the football, and that's how they were so successful on that side. And and it's interesting to think, you know, what if Atlanta implemented some of those more and more, I don't know, more intelligent schemes on offense? Because Buffalo clearly had a, a game plan that was working for them last year, obviously. And you wonder if Atlanta started to, I, I, you wonder how much the health of Julio Jones and how much the health, uh, the lack of options it seemed like perceptive wise, the lack of options in the receiving game and the receiving core. I wonder if that affected some of the decisions because really it felt like Calvin really was, you know, Matt Ryan's only option at times. And Julio Jones only played nine games, I think, last year. So you wonder, did that have an effect on their decisions late in games in terms of offensive scheme? You know, it's possible. But, you know, they're not going to have Julio this season. They have a new head coach. You know, they have a new running back. We'll see how things change. But there also is a lot of similarities with the personnel that they've brought into the twenty heading into the 2021 season. Any thoughts there? I mean, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It's It doesn't seem like they changed anything too drastically. But at the same time, if you talk about that many close games, I don't know how much you need to change drastically to have a drastic difference in outcome. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of X factors with Atlanta. I think they're a high variation team coming to the year. So we look at some of these X factors that's going to determine the results of whether or not they go over or under that seven and a half win total. Last year, you mean you you have to wonder heading into the season if they're going to regress to the mean when it comes to the perceptive randomness of the results of close games last year. We already talked about that. You know, they they won seven of nine games last year where they had a lead at halftime. Typically, teams win about eighty percent of those games. So when they have the lead at halftime. The team leading a half typically wins about 80% of those games. They won less than half. They were 1-8 in in one-score games in 2020. They had the league's toughest schedule, according to win and loss records. And, you know, will the offense look like they did last year in the seven games that they didn't have Julio? Because they're not, like I said, they're not having Julio Jones. How much of that missing production is Kyle Pitts, the new rookie phenom at tight end, going to be able to fill? And so that's a big question mark for them. You know, Julio is obviously a a world-class wide receiver, even when he was, you know, playing banged up at this point in his career. You know, you want to knock him for all these different types of things. He's still a world-class wide receiver when he's on the field. So is Kyle Pitts going to be a historically excellent rookie tight end? Because tight ends in their rookie seasons, people continue to talk about this. They historically don't do that well. And, you know, it's funny. You're a Giants guy, and I'm about to scratch your back a little bit as a Giants fan. The best two tight ends, rookie tight end seasons over the last two decades, Jeremy Shockey and Evan Ingram. Best two best two rookie seasons. In the there we go. Years. Yeah. Jeremy Shockey in 2002, he had, let me find this stat, he had 894 yards in 2002. That's the most yards in the last two decades from any rookie tight end. And, you know, you think about that, it actually doesn't sound like a lot. You know, 894. And then Evan Ingram had 722 in 2017. The best, the most yards by any rookie tight end over the last 20 years. And Julio Jones last year played 450 snaps, nine games, like I said, and he had more yards than Evan Ingram. He had 771, 
And, you know, that's barely, that's almost about 120 yards less than Jeremy Shockey. So Kyle Pitts would have to have a historic tight end season, rookie tight end season, to be able to replace at least like a portion of the production that Julio put up. It would have to be the best of all time rookie NFL season for a tight end. Is is he capable of it? You know, possibly. He coming into coming into the league, you know, there hasn't been a, a tight end prospect of this caliber that I can he drafted think. fourth overall. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I'm sure there are more you know knowledgeable experts t- in terms of the draft history than. Well, I mean, so. Hawkinson was a top fifteen pick. Noah Fant, I believe, was like twentieth or so. Well, we're talking about and guys these guys like, didn't even come close. Prospects. They were ex- they were excellent prospects, but they didn't have the hype that this guy has. Like, mm-hmm. Pitts Pitts had the most hype that I've ever seen out of a, out of a tight end heading to the draft. They're talking about, you know, how he's not even like a typical tight end that he's, he's some sort of superstar wide receiver that they're going to use all around the field, like a Swiss army knife. And it makes me think, you know, I think Pitts is going to be used in a very, a lot of various different ways. He's going to be used all over the field. I think they're going to spread him out wide. I think they're going to bring him in tight. I think he's going to play in the slot. Like, I think he's going to be in motion. I think he's, if he's really capable of what people seem to to expect out of him, I would not be surprised to see him at least come close to the the historic rookie tight end season that we're, we're, you know, we're hinting at. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we're talking about a tight end still. And so he's going to have certain duties that differs from a wide receiver. And when we talk about like historic wide receiver seasons. I mean, we can just look back to last year. Justin Jefferson had 1500 yards. Yeah. Now the best tight end receiver season of all time in terms of yards Eight, was 894. We're talking about 600 less yards. So, I mean, even if he has 200 yards better than that, right. We're talking a, a huge variance over the best tight end receiving season of all time. He's still not even going to be close to the wide receiver impact of the caliber of player, Justin Jefferson or Julio Jones, let's say if he actually played a full season. So no, I don't think it can fully replace all the offense that they're getting. I mean, yes, he has a training camp, which is going to be more helpful than last year in terms of rookies coming in. And he, he is an absolute athlete that looks incredible from many positions, but even if he puts up the best tight end receiving season of all time, it still won't even be close to the possible impact of other positions on the offense. Yep. So if we're talking about, uh, you know, an amount of production that's going to be left in the slack, it can be, you know, if, if, if Falcons are going to have success and assuming Pitts is even close to uh, a wide receiver, two level production. Okay. Say he has a historically excellent rookie tight end season but he's still going to leave a lot of room for a lot of the other offensive weapons to eat so calvin ridley we have to assume he's going to have a wide receiver five fantasy type season at least i love calvin ridley this year i mean there's so many vacated targets and he's proven it on the field already he might be he he, i mean aside from you know maybe Devontae adams is there really a situation where you could assume that one wide receiver is going to receive as much volume as he could possibly take is there another I mean, situation in the NFL? Maybe Hopkins. Maybe. But it's it's that type of, you know, it's that type of conversation. Yeah, you he's know, absolutely in the top five of wide receivers right now. You know 100%. He's going he, to catch as many passes as he possibly can. 
if he stays healthy. So that's that's definitely a, a, a big, you know, he's going to be up there. He's in that Adams, Hill, Hopkins echelon right now, you know, especially yeah. with the vacated targets from Julio Jones. He's absolutely got to be in your top five. For sure. So we're talking about an excellent Ridley season, an excellent Pitt season. So we're, if, if we assume those two things, there's still going to be a lot. Those of, are big assumptions for a rookie tight end. Yeah. We're, those are big assumptions, but we're just, yeah. let's play Let's play a little game with it. I'll play your game, Ben Perez. There's, I will. There, there's going to be a, still a lot of food to eat in this offense. So the, the next question that's coming is, how much better can Atlanta run the football with Mike Davis? Mike Davis looks like he likes to eat. I'll, do, I'll tell you that. That's for sure. <laughs> Those quads, dude. He's joining that quad. Ooh, quadzilla, game. man. Quadzilla. Him, him and AJ Dillon and Saquon. I would love to see a quad off. <laughs> Doing like just wall sits for like 24 hours straight. <laughs> I think we need an Instagram post with just, just a picture of their quads, okay? Remove the player's face and let's just let's, let's let the fans decide, okay? Uh, whoever, ATA marketing strategy, let's get on that. <laughs> All right. So Arthur Smith, the new head coach coming into Atlanta this year, he's coming from Tennessee and Tennessee last year implemented an incredibly conservative rushing attack with a, an all world running back in Derrick Henry. I mean, so our, how much production can we expect out of Mike Davis compared to what Derrick Henry was able to give to the Tennessee Titans last year? Because Tennessee, they passed the ball a league low 42% of the time in neutral situations on early downs last year. So Tennessee's obvious scheme, their obvious plan of attack, running the football with with their all-world running back, Derrick Henry. This offseason, I already touched on some of the losses that Atlanta had. They lost veteran center Alex Mack and guard uh, James Carpenter it might not bode well for some of the already mediocre O-line performance that Atlanta was getting out of, of their O-line last year. They were 16th in pass block win rate last year. Atlanta did thrive late in uh, last season passing the ball and struggled mightily running the ball. So if Smith wants to run the ball in this offense, he's got a lot of work cut out for him in terms of you know turning things around with this, this rushing efficiency. In 2020, the Falcons passed the ball on 54% of their first downs in the first half. I already told you how they had all those first half leads, and that's this is how they got out to them. They passed the ball 54% of the time on first downs in the first half. The first half splits on their pass attempts. They were plus uh, 0.26 EPA per pass attempt in the first half. That's 8.8 yards per attempt on a 59% success rate. That's that's awesome. That's that's elite level offense with that production. With their running the ball, with the rushing efficiency, they were negative. 0.16 EPA per attempt. Three three yards a carry, 41% success rate. That's terrible. The decline of, 42, of 0.42 EPA per play from a pass to a run is the large, it was the largest uh, decline of any team in the NFL from pass to run, the largest. So we're talking about just two, two just incredibly different schemes because passing the ball worked, running the ball didn't. It's that plain and simple with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so Arthur Smith, he loves running the football. He loved it in Tennessee. How much is he going to be able to affect that rushing attack with Atlanta? I mean, it's not like Mike Davis is this great talent at running back. He was a backup last year. You know what I mean? He he lost the starting job multiple times in different teams. So I, I don't think he's the solution to be saying, okay, let's run the ball 60% of the time. This is not Derrick Henry. This is not the time the to pit. He's he's he fine. Last year, exactly. Middle of the pack. He was Yeah, and bad. I think he he'll be bad. that again. He'll be fine. So But this is not the this is not the resurrection of the Atlanta Falcons running game. 
Yeah, and he does have a worse O-line in Atlanta than he did in Carolina last year. So it's a situation that, you know, isn't as isn't as simple as him to step into. But he did have a full offseason knowing he's going to be the bell cow guy. He's, I mean, who else do they have besides Mike Davis? I mean, they do they really still have Edo Smith? They do. They do. They have Edo. And uh, who's the other running back? I can't remember his name. They have three running backs, but really it's Mike Davis. It's, uh, it's his job. He's going to be the three down guy. So we talk about... Uh, fantasy values that could transition into you know our fantasy football targets for this team. Mike Davis is is when, where he's being selected. I mean, there's guys in that draft range: Dev- Javante Williams, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, Daryl Henderson. Maybe um, there's a lot of the guys that are being drafted around that that range where Davis is. He aren't going to be the bell cow guys. And so I know I, re- I mentioned Daryl Henderson. I think he's the only one of that bunch where you know he's going to be most likely the three down guy. And Daryl Henderson, he's going to question mark considering how much the Rams like to use two or more running backs in their rushing attack. So I still feel pretty good about Raheem Mostert myself. I know Javante like, Williams. I understand the argument that. with yeah. Melvin Gordon. And, I, and, and the point is, you know, Mostert is going to be more efficient than Mike Davis. But oh, my, 100%. My point is, much better O-line and he's much yeah. more explosive. But with the assurance of high volume that you right. know Mike Davis is going to get, he's a pretty safe pick where he's getting drafted. He's a pretty good value because he's he's got a high floor. You know he's going to get 20-plus touches a game. He's certainly not going to be a, a league winner at the same time. Possibly. So I, in, in one sense or another, you know, it depends on how, how well you do early in your drafts, how well you, you are able to build around a guy if you get Mike Davis. But in terms of a running back two situation, he's not a bad pick where he's where he is. I think his, his ADP is 65. You know, I think it's a good value for him. Yeah, I mean, I think his ceiling is kind of what we saw from David Johnson last year, where it's going to be decent volume every game. You kind of know what you're going to get, but you're not going to get any huge explosive games. Yeah, and it's going to be a a, a good game, a starter-worthy game when you get a touchdown. And if not, you're going to get eight points or so. And it's not, it's you know, he's not going to put up thirty or forty points like some of these other guys in that range. But at the same time, he's also more safe on a game-to-game basis. Yeah. All right, the quarterback running this offense, Matt Ryan. <laughs> it's been it's been like this for years now. He's not sexy. Matty Ice. He's not sexy, nor is he a high ceiling fantasy asset, but he's still a well above average NFL quarterback. So if you want, if you you know you could do worse than streaming Matt Ryan in Week 13 on a buy for your QB, like if you have you know Lamar Jackson or you have a big guy a big QB that you drafted early in your draft and then you, you fill out your roster with Matt Ryan or you stream him off the waiver wire one week, you could do worse. Matt Ryan's going to be uh, an above average quarterback in the NFL this season. So him, Matt Ryan himself, he's not necessarily someone you're targeting your fantasy drafts. But what my point is, is this bodes well for the Atlanta offense. He's he's still going to keep up ticking. He's not, the Atlanta offense isn't going, you know, they're not going to be one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So he's going to be able to throw the ball to his top targets and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And so that's why I'm pretty optimistic. My not so bold prediction is really Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, I think are both going to finish in the top five at their respective positions in fantasy football this year. And because it's, it's, a, per, it's a pure volume play, it's a pure yeah. efficiency play. Like the numbers don't lie. These two guys are both set up as health permitting as long as they stay healthy on the season they're both set up to have monster years yeah and you you might be saying like oh wow kyle pitts is top five in his rookie year you guys just talked about how hard it is as a tight end to have a huge rookie year well 
after the top three or four tight ends, it's pretty up in the air in that range. So I wouldn't be shocked if he slid into that four spot or five spot. I mean, after Kelsey and Kittle and Waller, you know, Andrews had a really tough last year. I mean, he slots right into that range for sure. So yeah, not, not so bold. And, and we're talking about Calvin Ridley and the amount of volume. I love that. So personally, I'm going to shade more on the Calvin Ridley side, because I do think with the amount of, hype around Kyle Pitts and how early he is going in drafts. I don't know if the value is necessarily going to be there, but yeah, I, I love Calvin Ridley. Yeah. I, um, I honestly think Kyle Pitts might have a historic tight end season, uh, mm-hmm. rookie tight end season. So I just think the opportunity is there for him. And is he a more talented prospect than Jeremy Shockey was? I mean, I don't think I'm too bold in saying he was, and the situation is there. He's the number two guy in a pass efficient offense. Don't you hate him in my former, former Giants tight ends, Ben? Shockey you know, Shockey good. and Ingram. I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to hate on him too much. He wasn't. He, he that Eli connection he had was just it was like a mind meld. Those two guys. Well, I mean, and people talked about Ingram the same way. He's a, he was a transcendent athlete at the position who ran a four four, who was more like a wide receiver that they were going to line up all over the field, and he did have a historic tight end season, and yet it only resulted in 727 yards <laughs> right yeah um the only other guys- so i think that that's kind of like that's very much in the range of outcomes for kyle pitts that's very possible and that's that's why i'm not sold on the value i'm, I'm sold on the upside for sure but just the value for in me, drafts yeah for me i'm not afraid of picking kyle pitts as my tight end four on the season that's currently where i have him ranked because i'm down to take a gamble at a position like tight end where you could get a guy that is differentiating himself from the rest of the pack because really a tight end is a, the tight end position is typically each season a story of the haves and the have nots you know you have a you have that top tier you want to grab a guy in the top four or five on the season and then if you don't have one of those guys you know you're kind of streaming every week you're trying to find the good matchups you're trying to get the irv smith's juniors and you're trying to get touchdowns from robert tanyan and you're trying to you know you're just trying to stream guys here and there on good matchups like it, it, it's a headache it, it's really a pain in the ass every year to try to go go through that and and the pain in the pit succeed. there are ways to succeed at that we're going to try to give you as much advice on how to do that throughout the season i'm sure but for me a kyle pitts represents a guy that you could plug and play for every week besides his bye week um, each season, assuming that everything goes right. There's a high ceiling for a guy like this. Um, and so I, I have no shame in putting him above guys like TJ Hawkinson and uh, Mark Andrews, who I think are mm-hmm. both talented tight ends, guys who I've seen a lot of experts consider putting above Kyle Pitts. I just think the ceiling's higher, much higher for Kyle Pitts. So that's why that's my reasoning there. I, I think the floor is obviously lower for a rookie tight end than guys who are already established like Hawkinson and Andrews. But really, I'm, I'm going for the big play. There. The unknown. You like the unknown there. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Other guys that kind of round out this offense who are guys to consider late in your drafts or maybe on your waiver wires throughout the season. Russell Gage is going to be the wide receiver two in this offense. And, and I already talked to you all about all the great pass efficiency numbers for Atlanta. Russell Gage is going to get some volume. He has had – he's not – you know, a stranger to some success. He's he's had, you know, a, a few good weeks here and there in this offense already. Matt Ryan has that repertoire with him already. I think this is what his third or fourth season now. Um, not he's not gonna turn too many heads. He's not gonna be the sexiest pick, but he's a streamable wide receiver three um in the right matchups. So I, yeah. Russell Gage is not someone I hate, you know, taking late in late in my draft. I think he's a decent value play there, just the volume. And then 
Hayden Hurst, I think, is a guy that consider a tight end. And, you know, someone who's probably going to go undrafted. I would definitely throw him on your on your watch list, and maybe if he has a good week or you need a uh, stream to stream a tight end one week, I think Hayden Hurst is going to get you know at least a, a few touchdowns, a decent amount of volume. Because like I said, Kyle Pitts is going to be moving around on this offense. He's going to be lined up out wide. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be doing a lot of different things, and that's going to leave it open for Hayden Hurst to kind of run that traditional tight end role for Atlanta. And I think that that's going to I think that's going to be more or less the way it's going to play out for this offense because they really don't have a whole lot of wide receiver depth. So we're going to be talking about Kyle Pitts. Honestly, he's probably going to be their wide receiver three more so than tight end one. So I think Kyle Pitts is going to be using a lot of different ways and it's going to leave the door open for Hayden Hurst to run the more traditional tight end role for him. Yeah, I mean, Hayden Hurst is a tough one for me. I think that he was kind of handed the keys to the car last year and he really didn't do much with it. And so I, I... I probably wouldn't have him on my roster unless Kyle Pitts were to go down. And even he's still, I, don't, I still yeah, don't think he's a great option. He's kind of a boomer bust tight end go, too to me. I have no shame in letting him go undrafted, but the point is he's someone I'm keeping an eye on on the season. Yeah, that, on your watch list. Yeah, definitely. And if I, if I get an injury to a tight end early on or if I you know need to stream a guy early on in the season, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid to go to Hayden Hurst. I think he's going to catch at least, you know, I can see him catching like – five to six touchdowns, five to eight touchdowns or so on the season. I would not be uh, shocked if that happened. Mm. All right. Let's go with the pick here. Over or under seven and a half wins, Connor, for the Atlanta Falcons. The frisky Atlanta Falcons, over or under seven and a half. It's a, it's a, it's a decent line. I mean, if, if luck went their way last year, it'd be much easier. And there are some big changes happening in that division too with the saints no longer having drew Brees with the Panther with the panthers transitioning at quarterback i mean obviously the bucks are the, the heavy favorite there but you know would you be shocked if matt ryan led this team to 10 wins in a 17 game season i wouldn't but at the same time i'm not confident in it uh, i don't think they made enough defensive changes and that was really where they lost most of their games you know they were fine on offense i trust matt ryan enough but seven and a half after only having four wins and that many blown leads i'm probably leaning the under but i I, i'm not going to bet it either way yeah this is a tough one for me i lean under i I think um if i definitely would never pick over on this just because of how many problems they had in the offseason like this is a team that in a franchise that clearly isn't prioritizing wins this season the salary cap was their biggest enemy. I mean, last year, their defense, they actually pretty, they overplayed their talent level a little bit. They finished 14th in DVOA. But after starting the season, they, they started the season very hot. And then after their first five games, they ranked 25th in DVOA. So, you know, they they, de- they steadily declined as the season went on. And the defense was a problem last year. And it's going to be even more of a problem this year. They got worse over the offseason because, like I said, they had so many salary cap problems. They had to let go a lot of their highest paid players on that side of the football. So I just don't see how they could stop a lot of, a lot of the elite offenses. Um, I still think, you know, they probably have, you know, the worst defense in this division. And, you know, Atlanta last year, we talked about all the unluckiness of them. They, they were lucky in the health department. They were the third healthiest team last year, according to football outsiders at game lost mes- metric, uh, like it's adjusted games lost metric metric. And uh, Atlanta was the third healthiest team on that, in that sense. And, and when you look at the schedule for them this year, they're 
because the 17th game that the extra game added to Atlanta's schedule is a road game in Jacksonville, the Falcons have also have a home game, quote unquote, in London against the Jets. So that means only seven of Atlanta's 17 games will be at their home field in Georgia. So, I mean, that's pretty tough. Seven out of 17 is not a, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Yeah, they could games. win every they could win every home game and still be under that line. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty tough. Uh, there's a lot of things stacked against them this year. So if if they go over seven and a half wins, a lot of things would have had to go right for them, and a lot of things probably would have had to go wrong for other teams within this division. I, I think is a pretty pretty good bet. Under seven and a half wins is my pick. Mm-hmm. All right, Ben. That's five teams in a row where we have aligned. We got to start having a difference soon. <laughs> All right, this is going to be an interesting one. Carolina Panthers. This might last be the year, one. Last year they were five and eleven. Their set their win uh, over under win total this year is seven and a half. They're plus one thousand to win the division. Their key ads: Sam Darnold, Hassan Reddick, Cameron Irving, David Moore, Pat Elfine. Daquan Jones, Morgan Fox, AJ Bouye, there's Dan Arnold, uh, and Denzel Perriman. So a lot of additions there on the defensive side of the football on the O line. The key losses: Curtis Samuel, the wide receiver, uh, moved over to Washington. Mike Davis to Atlanta. Already, like we mentioned, they uh, they they traded Teddy Bridgewater to the Denver Broncos. A few other guys here. We're looking at um, Joey Sly. The good. I like Joey Sly, the kicker at Carolina. He's no longer there. This is an interesting team because really it's a story of how confident are you in Sam Darnold and his ability to help this Carolina Panthers offense win football games. I mean, Darnold was an absolute disappointment in in New York. He came from the Jets and there's nothing you it's hard you'll be hard pressed to find a positive stat a positive metric on sam darnold in in new york it's not easy there's not a lot he did well he you know the only thing you can maybe spin in his direction is that he was decent with you know scrambling and he actually had decent stats outside of the pocket and moving his feet so maybe that's all that was already something he was good at at usc you know i actually loved him coming out of usc i i obviously i'm a big usc football fan that's my that's my college team and i really enjoyed watching sam donald play there and i thought he was going to be an excellent nfl quarterback until he went to possibly the worst situation in the NFL, they could have been drafted into. Do you think that being- was he the same year as Josh Rosen? Because I think Rosen might disagree. <laughs> That's true. Rosen was dealt a real tough hand in a lot of different places. Um, do you think now that Sam Donald has gotten rid of his his d- divorced his relationship with Adam Gase, is there is there a path, an opportunity for Sam Donald to turn things around here? Well, we, I mean, we saw what happens when a quarterback with decent draft pedigree leaves an Adam Gay system when Ryan Tannehill That's found his way to Tennessee, to. right? That's the guy they keep pointing to. And he kind of was unlocked, uh, especially with some new weapons around. Now, Darnold gets reunited with Roby Anderson, and he also gets DJ Moore, who's had, I think, back-to-back seasons of at least 1,000 yards. Uh, I, I like the talent on this roster. Christian McCaffrey's back in the system. He's the best pass-catching running back in the league. Maybe maybe Alvin Kamara, but you know, right up there. I, I love what Darnold could possibly do this season and his upside. He, he's still not someone I'm going to rely on for fantasy, let's say, but you know, I, I would sprinkle a little bit of money on them to say on the upside – you know, maybe he does turn around. Maybe I'll buy his rookie card or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably pretty cheap at this point. I haven't looked at those numbers, but I, I, I see the road. I see the path. You know, at, at least let's put it that way. I mean, 
look, Sam Donald, there's not much, there's not many things you can find positive about his experience in New York. But I mean, the only quarterback to ever have success with head coach Adam Gase, or even like, I don't think Adam Gase was the head coach in Denver. It was Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is the only head coach, is the only quarterback to ever have success. I think Gase was the offensive coordinator in Denver when he was there. And, and Peyton Manning's going to make a lot of OCs look pretty good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, Tannehill averaged 7.5 yards per attempt with a 36 and uh 36 touchdown and 21 interception ratio on 65.9% completion percentage with Adam Gase. That's Tannehill. And then he goes to Tennessee. He averages 8.6 yards per attempt. That's 1.1 more. And then he averages 55. His tight end to interception ratio was 55 and 13 on a 67%. Touchdown to interception? Yeah, touchdown interception rate. Um, I think you said tight end. You, you're still thinking about Kyle Pitts. <laughs> yeah, total tongue twister for myself. Sorry. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> On your own podcast. 60, yeah, sixty-seven point three percent was completion set. So that was a, a, a almost a two percent upgrade on his completion percentage. Um, going from an, leaving an Adam Gase offense, and he led the Titans to an eighteen and eight record so far since leaving New York. I mean, no, he wasn't in New York; he was in Miami. Sorry, um, Adam Gase. I mean, he called the most early down runs last year when trailing, trailing than any other team in the league. That's not something you want to be known for. So when he when the Jets were behind last year, their strategy was to run the football. What kind of what kind of coach does that? Like, how was that successful? And and you know who the running back was? Do you know who the running back was? Lev Bell, the Michael P. Ryan. It, it was thirty-seven year old Frank Gore. Frank Gore, yeah. <laughs> he had a top That's four crazy. run rate on second and ten with a bottom five efficiency. <laughs> Incredible, bro! Incredible. I couldn't believe it. Future Hall of Famer Frank Gore, but I mean, at at that age. Let me read this one back to you, okay? A top four run rate on second and 10 and a bottom five efficiency. Incredible. I mean, when you you know you're so bad at something and you continue to do it, how are you still in this league? I I know he's he's since been fired from his New York job, but it was atrocious last year. It really felt like the, the New York Jets were just keeping him around so that they could... Get, try to get uh, Trevor Lawrence, and that didn't work out. He couldn't, he couldn't I mean, even lose right. I mean, I said, like uh, like I said before, where the hell were the analytics guys saying, this doesn't freaking work mid-season? You know what I mean? Just like, yeah. oh, the Falcons, and then we, we go to, uh, we're talking about Adam Gase. Jeez, back to back. Yeah. <laughs> Talk so, about something you want to flush down the toilet. Right? So Sam Sam Darnold goes from Adam Gase and Frank Gore to wide re- and wide receivers uh, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Bar- uh, Barrios, and Brashad Perriman. Uh, and he, now he's going to Carolina where he's going to get Joe Brady coming from that Belichick disciple. He's a Belichick disciple, someone who's a little bit more of an offensive mind probably. I mean, <laughs> he's definitely more offensive yeah. mind, gift, mindly gifted than, uh, than Gase. But uh, Joe Brady, Christian McCaffrey. Wide receivers, DJ Moore, Roby Anderson, Terrace Marshall, who was a second-round pick out of LSU. Very talented wide receiver there. Look, Jets offensive injury luck over the last three years. In last year, they were the 11th worst. 2019, they were the second worst. And 2018, they were the 10th worst. So even with all that poor personnel, the New York Jets on offense were still very banged up year in and year out. It's it, There's a lot of things that were just stacked against Donald. Um, and it... It's going to be interesting to see how he can turn things around because you have to worry about it. I think the talent is there. I think he has the ability to try to turn things around, but you have to worry about 
uh, a young QB just developing bad habits and, and getting mm-hmm. scared and losing. Well, he, he's habits. the quarterback who said I was seeing ghosts out there last year, right? It's it, it, those are those are not good things you want to, you want to hear. That's not something you want to hear from your starting quarterback and first We're, round draft pick. It was uh the, oh yeah uh R J Bell. I love his podcast. He's someone that I, I love to refer to during the season for gambling handicapping. He used to call Sam Darnold Casper the friendly ghost or something like that. He's because he's seeing ghosts out there. He used to make me laugh every time. He had, like, is this uh, is this a, a Ben Simmons situation where he was just in the wrong fit and the mental health wasn't there and he still has the talent though so you put him in the right team and you know you know hopefully ben simmons gets unlocked but uh you know sam darnold coming into a situation he was truly seeing ghosts because darnold was one of three quarterbacks in the league last year to have a negative epa from a clean pocket oh my gosh clean pocket one of three one of three quarterbacks there wasn't even pressure on him and he couldn't he couldn't be accurate it, I mean, he was dead, ranked dead last out of 36 qualified quarterbacks last year in EPA per play. Dead I'd be last. curious to see the level of separation his wide receivers were giving him, you know, and obviously you, we've already talked about how over the years Adam Gase has proven to be extremely ineffective as a play caller. Um, but yeah, Matt Rule is an offensive-minded head coach. Teddy Bridgewater was very strong playing last year. And we look at the wide receiver production from Roby Anderson, DJ Moore, both over a thousand yards. And again, he, this is somebody he's played with before and Robbie Anderson, who's, who's an, uh, six foot five, an extreme speedster, an awesome deep threat. And Christian McCaffrey is the best pass catching back of the league. So the talent and the situation is so much better that I think Sam Donald, I mean, we know what the floor is, but I, I think the ceiling is pretty high next year. And he's a, he's a high boom bust candidate. Yeah. For me, it's like, it, it's tough to, if Donald doesn't have a good season, it's, it's going to be incredibly tough for Carolina's front office to justify trading Teddy Bridgewater and bringing in Sam Donald because for, for a question, six round pick, dude, I liked Teddy right? last year. The big question, I mean, I, I can give you some stats about Teddy, and, and clearly he was the better quarterback last year compared to Donald. Yeah. And the big question for Carolina, though, is would you rather have Justin Fields, your 2022 second and fourth round draft picks, and whoever you would have taken in the last, in the last draft in the sixth round? Or would you rather have Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold and J.C. Horn, who they selected, I think, eighth overall in the draft? I mean, I mean per- personally, I'd much rather have Justin Fields. I love Fields as a prospect. I think he went way too late in that draft too. So <laughs> that's a lot to give up for Donald and Horn. It's a lot. So, He's an unproven commodity. It's not like you're you're paying really for a guy like- who who is shown to play well on the field. I mean, I haven't seen a good Donald year at all. Yeah, I do really like J.C. Horn, though. I think he's going to be a really excellent cornerback. From everything I saw from him coming out of the draft, he looked really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bridgewater was easily the better quarterback last year. I mean, <laughs> another bad Donald stat I have here. Among 30 quarterbacks last year to attempt at least 40 attempts within 11 to, to 19 air yards. So the mid-range throws at, uh, that were outside of the red zone, so he's not close to the, to the touchdown, uh, the red zone. But... Donald was the only one with a negative EPA on those mid-range throws from 11 to 19 yards. The only one. I mean, it's pretty easy to have a positive EPA because you think about it, those mid-range throws are, are money in the bank because you're getting first downs on those. You're getting, you're getting you know, big gains in the, in the, and when you're throwing those mid-range throws. Um, you get, you're hoping that you get a lot of yards after the catch when you have those as well. So, Donald was the only one out of... 30 qualified quarterbacks with at least 40 attempts in that range to have the 
a negative EPA. And it, there's a lot of things that suggest that Donald isn't going to be stretching the field in Carolina. I, you, you, you would love to hope for a, a big turnaround. You know, you want him to air the football out. You want him to stretch the offense, but it's not the guy they acquired. That's not the guy who the Panthers acquired. And so Ru- Matt rule, the head coach already says that he doesn't want Donald to, he wants Donald to be playing more than in a rhythm and, and with progression reading, uh, you know, having, you know, a, a more schematic offense. Uh, he's going to be hopefully creating some sort of offensive plan that is going to bode well for it's going to simplify things for Donald hopefully because he doesn't want him holding the football he doesn't want him letting it rip downfield because that's what really got him in trouble in New York and my question is though it's like how is this any different than Teddy Bridgewater because Bridgewater last year he threw 59% of his passes within five yards so he was he was a short short range quarterback last year the league average on that is 52% so he's 7% above league average on those short throws it's it's tough to see what Carolina saw that in Donald that was you know suggests that he was better than Bridgewater I guess he's just a younger quarterback he's more of an unknown commodity he's, yeah untapped unknown and, and the thing that's known is it's the gaze is yeah it's Gase is bad the, the fact of the matter is this is a big gamble for Carolina and if it pays off they're gonna look like geniuses and if it doesn't they're gonna be looking like fools with their foot in their mouth so it's tough. It's tough to see how you, Carolina can succeed this year without a big turnaround from Sam Darnold. And mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but there's a lot of things that suggest that Darnold has a long way to go before he's a league average quarterback, just league average. Yeah, and at the same time, I still like them at, at the over with seven and a half just because they had five le- five wins last year with a known commodity in Teddy Bridgewater, who's known to be just average. And even if Sam Donald is just average, the fact that, you know, Christian McCaffrey missed basically all of the season last year, he came back for a couple of games, but was injured. I think having possibly the the best running back in the league coming back for your team definitely boosts their value from five to let's say seven wins and we get an extra game. So I, I I'm slightly taking the over on this one again, not, not confident, but I do. I do like their upside here. And, you know, what the what happens if is. Sam Darnold decides to play better? I mean, I think the situation is certainly better. So I see the potential. Yeah, there's. It's a big gamble. Like I said, the path to getting the over here is going to be their defense. I mean, they spent all their primary draft picks over the last two years on defense, and. Um, it's going to be their saving grace if they're going to win because they used all seven picks in, in the 2020 draft on defensive players. And they picked, like I said, cornerback J- JC Horn out of South Carolina over Justin Fields and Mac Jones in this last draft. They also brought in edge defender um, Hassan Reddick. He has a first round draft pe- pedigree coming from Arizona. They signed him to a one year, $8 million prove it contract. So if Hassan Reddick wants to get another deal next year, He's going to have to have a good year. They brought also brought in Denzel Perriman, who's also got a track record of some success too. So if the if Carolina gets over seven and a half wins, if they get to that eight, that magical eight number, it's going to be some low scoring games and it's going to be their defense getting some big plays, probably some turnovers too, obviously. Yeah, and at the same time, it, it's funny because seven and a half wins seemed like too many for the Falcons. Yeah, and, I, and these teams are probably on a similar level. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if one team was better than the other by any means. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they could still be under 500 and get to that seven and a half win total. So, I, you know, I like their potential to be a 500 team. That's kind of where I would put them based on the offseason moves they've made. 
Gotcha. I think it's going to be a big test for Matt Rule, head coach. He came out of Green Bay. Second year, right? Yep, second year there. He's a good offensive mind. So if there's somebody that uh, could help Darnold turn things around, I think he's uh, a good candidate to do so. Um, but he's going to be heavily tested in in his 2020, 20, uh, 21-22 season. I keep messing that one up. Fancy football, fancy football implications for this team. I mean, DJ Moore is the 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 headline guy here. His ADP is 59, wide receiver uh, for the Carolina Panthers. I think he's obviously a great talent. I'm not, you know, turning any heads with that bold prediction there. Robbie Anderson, his ADP is 89. I think both these values are pretty decent. Um, well, sorry, I, I overlooked the, obviously the, the the elephant in the room here, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he's the RB one bona fide. I overlooked it because it's so easy to lock him into yeah. the RB one position. But out of these three guys, McCaffrey, Moore, and Anderson. Who are you most excited about for the Carolina Panthers? I'm most excited about in terms of the value you're getting, uh, Robbie Anderson, for sure. I mean, he's reuniting with his former quarterback where he was a breakout. He did. He had, he had a thousand yard season or came very close to it in New York Mm -hmm. with Sam Donald. It was clearly the guy that Donald looked to often and early. And so with that, uh, repertoire and that that relationship already in place, uh, and you're talking about three or four rounds later than where DJ Moore is going. I like his value. I mean, obviously Christian McCaffrey is an absolute stud, but I actually have him ranked as my number three running back just because of the injury, um, the injury likelihood. And, uh, you know, Ivan Kamara has been so steady and, and at the same time, uh, Dalvin Cook to finally put a full season together. So Christian McCaffrey coming off an injury, number three, but it probably e- easily has number one overall potential. So, yeah, you don't really we don't really need to talk about him. We'll put a pin in that because I want to come back to that really quick. But uh, my question for you is with McCaffrey returning and him having such a, a major role in the receiving game, not just the rushing game. Are you worried about at all, you know, the additional 75 plus targets that McCaffrey is going to get inevitably this year um, for, for more and Anderson is, is the, the, you know, the, the, the decrease in volume for these two receivers, is it going to be uh, an endangerment to their fantasy value this year? I don't think so because Curtis Samuel was there last year as well. And that was someone who had 850 yards and ended up being, I think also a top 30 wide receiver. They had three guys in the top 30 and yet Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback and they went five and 11. So there's still going to be plenty of volume to go around. Um, Mike Davis was a prolific pass catcher in a few games last year. He might've even hit double digits in one game. So I think that the game plan is still going to be, you know, Christian McCaffrey and let's get the ball in his hands as, as often as we can because he's our best playmaker. Yeah. I'm with you there. I'll give you a couple stats to help you with this decision. Roby Anderson, he was seventh in the league last year in yards after the catch with 514. That's that's excellent yardage. That's that stuff that you don't need high receptions, uh, high reception rates to you know succeed. He he's able to catch the ball and run, make plays. He's an electric wide receiver, an explosive wide receiver who's capable of you know breaking off the big plays for them. I think he's going to be someone who could catch. He could he could be one of the league leaders in. Um, touchdowns at over 20 yards or so. So Yeah, I mean, and the thing with Roby too, he had um, he had over a 1,000 yards last year and only three touchdowns. So if you're talking about regression to the mean in terms of yeah. touchdowns, he should definitely come up there. And I think that'll supplant any target loss that we're worried about with Christian McCaffrey coming Good back. Point. Good point. DJ Moore also, he was third in yards per reception last year, 18.1. So he's incredibly efficient receiver. 
uh, DJ Moore. So I think you're right in saying that Roby Anderson and DJ Moore are two guys that not get too much, uh, too worried about, you know, in terms of their fancy outlook for the year. I think they're set up for a prime season. All right. Yeah. I mean, especially where they're being drafted for the most part. All right. So I put a pin in that McCaffrey note you had. If you're a little bit, if you're a little bit pessimistic about McCaffrey's health, tell me how optimistic you are about Chubba, uh, Chubba Hubbard, the, the, the rookie running back coming out of, I forget what was it? Georgia. I, I care what, what school he came out of. He was intrigued. For me, he's an intriguing late round flyer. I mean, we saw what Mike Davis was capable of last year without McCaffrey. Is Hubbard a handcuff you're considering with the uncertainty to McCaffrey's health? Yeah, I mean, with Mike Davis no longer there, if you're going to have a, a if you're going to have Christian McCaffrey, that's the guy you want as your backup. Um, but no, I'm, if I don't, I, I view him similarly to Tony Pollard. Let's say, you know, if I don't have Ezekiel Elliott, I don't really want to have Tony Pollard. But if he goes down, it's a guy who the, the volume is going to be there. Mike Davis was a very solid start and the games that Christian McCaffrey wasn't there. And I think we can see the same thing from Chubba Hubbard. The, um, the thing is, I would probably value him a little bit less than Tony Pollard too because it, it is his rookie year. But same type of situation, just you know, a ton of value being the running back on that team. All right, I'm trying to look up this ADP comparison. Then, if you want to compare it to Tony Pollard, and I bet Pollard's going higher because he's a known yeah. commodity. Yeah, Pollard's right around 119 according to Fantasy Pros. Hubbard is 149. So okay. That's three about, rounds apart. Yeah, yeah. It's three about, about three rounds apart. So I think that value, makes sense. I think that I think I think that's a decent value though for Hubbard. I mean, there's there's a decent potential that he could carve out a role for himself. Because what if it's possible, you know, McCaffrey had this major workload, you have to wonder, did that contribute to his injury? Did that contribute to, you know, the uh the amount of physical you know, yeah, the punishment on his yeah. body did that contribute to the injuries? You have to wonder if maybe they'll dial back some of that because he was at an, a, a historic rate of usage um, in that Carolina offense when he was healthy prior to going down last season. So I think Hubbard could be a decent value there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of somebody to keep an eye on and keep on your watch list, and also if you see. You know, McCaffrey has a tweak. He, he's 70%. Maybe that's the time to go ahead and stash him on your team, even if you don't have McCaffrey, because the likelihood of, of a secondary injury, we saw it last year, McCaffrey came back and then missed time again. So if a situation like that crops up uh, where McCaffrey's in and out of the lineup, it's a guy you want to have on your team. You're absolutely right. All right, let's wrap it up here with the Panthers. My over-under pick under seven and a half wins i'm going under we're finally in disagreement with one of these teams here i'm going under seven and a half and i, I feel like i'm picking a lot of unders but the reason is here i just think that the, the nmc south is is really get, taking a dip in talent besides we're going to talk about the tampa bay buccaneers last year but besides the buccaneers i'm pretty pessimistic about the talent on in this division um it, it's incredibly difficult to see how this team can exceed that win total for me unless Darnold has some sort of drastic improvement in the new environment in Carolina. I mean, history is against Darnold heading into his fourth professional season. There aren't a lot of examples of guys revitalizing their careers this late in their development process. Tannehill is obviously the most ideal comp for him, and that would be excellent for Carolina if they got a, another Ryan Tannehill. But there, but Darnold's a long way off from getting that to that level. So we'll see how that works out there. And then also Carolina did receive some fortunate bounces last year. They ranked first in opponent fumble recovery percentage and gained the fourth most EPA due to defensive turnovers. So they did get some uh, some help in those random categories um, and, and they were still not a very great football team. So I'm picking the under on seven and a half for Carolina. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to take over, like I mentioned earlier, but I'm not, you know, I don't think this is going to be a, a smash overplay. I'm not going to put any personal dough on it as we coined last episode. Um, but yeah, we've been taking a lot of unders, and this is a team where I, I do see the potential. I see the potential for a Donald breakout year. I see the potential now with Christian McCaffrey back on that team. And and they, they, were, they were frisky in a lot of games last year. And so if they're able to solidify the quarterback position, I think we're going to know by around week four or five. Yeah. Whether, whether that looks like it's going to make sense um, just based on Donald's play, because as you mentioned, a lot does hinge on whether he's able to make a, an improvement there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll say they're going to go nine and eight. Yeah. For, for me, if I had to pick one of those, those Maybe eight, nine. Teams that we talked about to go over, I would, I would honestly go with Atlanta over Carolina. I think Atlanta is a little bit of a friskier team. I think they're more, I'm just always going to lean towards the offensive side of the football with the league, just trying to kind of trend that way. I think Atlanta's offense is obviously better than uh, Carolina's come into the season just based on quarterback and efficiency play. Um, so I, I would lean Atlanta if I had to pick up one of those two teams, but I, I'm going the under on both. So, yeah, and for me, it's one of those teams lost Julio Jones and one of those teams gets back Christian McCaffrey, and that's why I'm choosing the way I am. Yeah. All right, let's roll into the next team, the New Orleans Saints. We'll pick up the pace here. They're tw- they were 12-4 and four last year. Nine is their over-under win total on the season. They're plus 350 to win the division this season. Not a, really, not a whole ton of roster movement besides the loss of their, obviously, Hall of Fame quarterback, Drew Brees. They, lost, they uh, added Nick Vanette and to know... I can't even pronounce this this name. Edge rusher. Um, they, they added an edge rusher, and uh, they lost. Uh, Tano K. We're gonna go with K just for the last name. Alex, it might be a silent K too. Yeah, they 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 did lose some guys on defense. Alex uh, Anzalone. I'm I'm terrible at names. Anzalone. He's actually a pretty good linebacker uh, playing in. I think he's in Detroit now. I can't remember what team he went to. Emmanuel Sanders uh, is now in Buffalo. Janoris Jenkins, the cornerback, left. That's a big loss for them. Jared Cook, the tight end, with that. Awful, awful fumble last year in the NFC Championship game. Did not get brought back to New Orleans. Probably one of the most hated members. I mean, hated people in New Orleans at this point. Um, there's going to be some some time to get over that, I'm sure, for Saints fans. All right. Let's look at some X factors here for the Saints. Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill at quarterback is where do we where we got to start because that's the story of their training camp, I'm sure. Does no Michael Thomas affect that decision? That's my first question. Because obviously it was kind of up in the air. It seemed like they were leaning Winston. And with the news about Michael Thomas early on, he's going to miss, I think, like five to eight weeks, I think, is their initial reports. Does that fact affect this decision for you? I think it has to. I, I think that definitely tips the scale in terms of uh, Taysom Hill's favor. Now, if they don't think he's a long-term solution, they still might trot out James Winston, but you're removing the top three pass catching targets besides Alvin Kamara. Um, if we're talking about receivers and tight ends and taking away Sanders, Thomas and Jared cook. Uh, so when you're playing off the quarterback strengths, if passing isn't the strength, well, and you're losing passing, why not go with the running quarterback? Let's take Taysom Hill. We know what we're going to get out of him. I think he was three and one as a starter last year. Um, you know, he he looked fine in the games he needed to. He can manage that team well. And you still have Alvin Kamara, and they, they know what their strengths are. Sean Payton's a guy who's going to play to this team's strengths. So I think they're going to lean that way. But, you know, I, I am worried about this team with the amount of transition that's taking place in one year. Yeah. 
And honestly, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that gets us to that result, that pick at the end. But I'll tell you right off the bat, I'm leaning under on this for that very fact. Because you lose a Hall of Fame quarterback like this, so much transition happens when that when that takes place. I mean, we're not talking about just any quarterback. Because it's never easy for a team to lose their longtime quarterback and then take a not, and then not take a significant step backwards. But Drew Brees isn't just any quarterback. He's a Hall of Fame, possibly a top five quarterback all time. And you lose a guy like that... It's tough to see how you recover in one season, in one offseason, how you regain all that offensive prowess that a guy like Breeze was bringing to your team. So if any team can do it, if any coach can, you know, turn their offense around, I think Sean Payton's a good candidate to do so. I mean, the big question is going to be how much Sean Payton can elevate this offense and elevate. I think eventually they they, they end up with Jameis at quarterback. I, I think Taysom might be the QB early on. I could see a lot of kind of moving around there, maybe even a combination of both at times during games. And I think Jameis is obviously the better the better quarterback, but Taysom Hill brings a lot of different variables to your offense. So there's going to be a push and pull with that, and it's going to take a lot of creative, you know, thinking and schematics uh, from Sean Payne to kind of implement a successful offensive scheme. And, and, and I think what we're going to see is at least a slow start for New Orleans on offense. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think an apt comparison would probably be the Patriots of last year where they lost Tom Brady, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. And you would have said, hey, if there's any team that can still win without Tom Brady, you would say it was Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And yet they went seven and nine, even when they brought in a former league MVP in Cam Newton. Uh, someone whose strength was also running on the ground. So, I mean, if you want to talk about the pieces fitting, I think that's a very apt comparison. There's going to be a lot to figure out, uh, a lot of moving parts, and I think that's going to make it difficult for this team to put together an above 500 record. Yeah. One thing that is going to keep this team from having such a low floor and it's going to keep their their floor pretty high is uh, the O-line. The offensive line is very strong. It's one of their biggest strengths. The Saints, uh, they're going to have an elite O-line and an, an elite running back. And Alvin Kamara, that's that's saying the least. Kamara is an animal. And they got to hope that Thomas returns sooner than later, missing probably, I mean, ideally missing at least, I think the the pup list puts him at what, five games minimum, right? Or is it, what's, I think it's, uh, there's a minimum amount of games he has to miss now. And right. the, the he could end up missing close to half the season, you know, I mean, realistically. So they really got to hope for um, just a lot of things to fall right for them. And I think that if if they want to raise their ceiling, if they want to um, try to their best to replace the production in their passing attack after Drew Brees, the guy's got to be Jameis Winston. And then if you want to keep your floor high, if you want to, I mean, at least be able to move the football and not turn the ball over so much, I think Taysom Hill is going to be the guy. So there's a lot of different variables with that decision. I mean, Winston, for me, from 2017 to 2019, you look at the stats when he was starting in Tampa Bay, he started 40 games and he was the 15th quarterback out of 37 in EPA per play. Uh, that's a that's a 600 drop back qualifier there. And the question is how much... Payton's going to be able to, you know, help Winston out with that decision-making, whether or not he's going to be able to help Winston with turning the ball over. He had, obviously, a, a big propensity to turn the ball over. I mean, you look at their quarterback uh, quarterback play in Drew Brees. Brees, I think, had 23 interceptions in the last uh, – what did I have that at? Twenty. I think it was, like, the last, like, four seasons or so. I think Drew Brees threw 23 interceptions, and Jameis Winston had 30 in one season in 2019. Right. So, it, 
it's going to be a big. He, he went thirty and thirty. He had the touchdowns and interceptions. Yeah, you? he had he had thir- I think thirty four touchdowns and then thirty interceptions. Right. Um, but I mean, they the the Saints fans are like, look, we had we had games without Drew Brees over the last two years. He got injured twice over the last two seasons and they had nine games without him they were eight and one in those in those games bridgewater and Taysom hill were at quarterback it's a deceiving record because the defense and special teams units were elite in those instances and the offense had a huge drop off and they had a number of games where they faced either rookie or backup quarterbacks even that one last year when they had the kj hamler game uh, in denver when hamler was was a wide receiver coming off the practice squad making his debut as a quarterback and when his primary position was a wide receiver and he hadn't played quarterback since high school so the 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 saints the 8-1 record without drew Brees is a little bit deceiving um and with with Brees, the saints had an, uh, a top offense by epa they were the top offense by epa standards per play over the last two seasons and then without him without Brees, they ranked 20th it's a big drop off so we have we have to wonder where is the production going to come from? Who's going to step up in this offense? And you look at the wide receiver core without Michael Thomas, who is one healthy and uh, elite wide receiver. Who's going to step up in the receiving core? Is it going to be Trey Quan Smith, who was 92nd out of 111 in yards route yards per route run last year? Is it going to be Marquez Callaway? Marquez Callaway, sorry. Or is it going to be the tight end Adam Troutman? I mean. Not necessarily some names jumping off the page at you. Honestly, I think Larry Fitzgerald, veteran out of Arizona, would be a decent fit for this team. I think he he's you know probably considering retirement. Probably isn't gonna isn't gonna come back. But you know, coming to a uh, historically respected franchise like New Orleans, I think could be a decent fit for a guy like Larry Fitzgerald. So uh, that was my thoughts there. But going back to this personnel for the wide receivers for New Orleans, I just I, I wonder where this it's a it's a it's a mediocre list of names aside from Alvin Kamara. It you have to wonder where they're gonna get the production of. It's tough to see where it's going to come from. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see the production in this offense and in, in, in the wide receiver core. I mean, I, maybe as a late round flyer, you're taking Marquez Callaway, but you can't trust it with a with the possibility of a, of a Russian quarterback and the, the lack of proven entities in the wide receiver core. I just don't know how this offense is going to produce, and so with the amount of unknowns, it's. It's pretty easy for me to say this this one I'm leaning under on for sure. Yeah. The uh the saving grace for them is gonna have to be their defense. And we already talked about how they lost a lot of guys on that side of the football. Right. And and, and if they're gonna move the ball on offense, it's gonna have to be the running game. So I think early on, without Michael Thomas, we're probably gonna see Taysom Hill as my guess, because Taysom Hill is probably gonna help the running rushing attack being able to give them a different uh some creative looks to the defense there but you know they ranked first last year in rushing dvoa the o-line like i said was excellent they were fourth by football outsiders adjusted yards metric really helping the uh, rushing attack move the football kamara hill and murray were all excellent options for the rushing uh, game behind it in, in the elite o-line latavius murray by the way a, a pretty decent value play for me um in new orleans i think kamara is going to be used in so many different ways he's going to probably be even lining up as a wide receiver at times i could see uh instances where both running backs are on the field in uh, 21 personnel there too. So I think Latavius Murray could be a decent value for fantasy as well. Let's look at that. Let's look at some fantasy football updates for the Saints. I mean, is there anybody besides Alvin Kamara that gets you excited for them? 
You know, I'm hearing a little bit of buzz about Troutman with the vacated targets from Jared Cook. He's going to be on the field. He was on the team last year. Um, so the fact that they let Cook walk, you know, maybe they have some confidence in him to be a, a decent pass catching um, player. But if you're talking about Taysom Hill is going to be the quarterback. No, I don't really want any of the receiving options, especially the fact that they're unknown. But Alvin Kamara is currently ranked as my number one um, running back and number one overall fantasy player. And it's because of the track record that he has. The fact that year after year, he plays a full season without getting injured. He has a toughness and durability. And also the way he plays, he seems to avoid big hits. Um, Last year, he had 756 receiving yards. So if you want to talk about where the extra uh, yardage is going to come from in terms of receptions, I think Alvin Kamara is going to pick up the slack in that position. Position. Um, and if he's going to be playing wide receiver a lot more or just at least playing more of that role, yeah, I think Latavius Murray is a decent stash too as well. Yeah, you touched on the guys there really that are, are ones to highlight. I mean, Kamara is obviously going to be the bell cow guy, the, the, the name on the face of this franchise for this year. And um, honestly, with the expectation that this offense I think is going to fall off pretty hard this year. I wanted to be open to dropping Kamara a little bit in my rankings. I wanted to think about it. I wanted to get spicy with it. And I just looking at the numbers, I just can't, I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where Kamara falls at the top four. I could, I could see a case for, and I think I have him ranked fourth in my, in my rankings. I could see a case drafting McCaffrey, um, Dalvin cook and um, Derek Henry, Derek Henry, uh, one, two, and three. Yeah. So that that those are all guys in the same vein. I think they're all yep. they're, they're same. They're 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 the top tier for sure. Yeah. So for me, if Kamara falls out of your top four, that's a blessing in disguise. If you have the fifth pick and you get Alvin Kamara, anything below five, you should jump it for joy. You should be thanking all your competitors for just gifting you an absolute gift. I mean, just just giving you an absolute yeah. just bow, red bow on top, you know, like that brand new Ferrari with the bow on the hood. Like that's literally what you're getting with. I mean, my biggest worry for him is that we do see and I talked about the reason why I have number one is because he hasn't had the injury history, but I'm worried about the McCaffrey like usage this year in that he might finally break down. Uh, He's not the biggest player and he's just going to have to pick up so much of the slack with this offense that I almost think it's a must have to take Latavius Murray as your backup handcuff. If you are going to take Alvin Kamara, just in case, because you're investing so much in one of your top four Latavius picks that you efficient backup and, and he's a clear cut efficient and he gets touchdowns too. If, you know, he's a Kamara bigger back ever. If he would ever miss time, Latavius is an easy, probably a top 15 running back play for that. Yeah. Yeah. Top, I would say top 10 for sure. Maybe. Yeah. Very, very possible. So, I think Murray's a good value there as well. The only other guy you got to talk about here is Michael Thomas. What do you do with a guy like this? You know he's going to miss a lot of time early on. Right now, his ADP looks like about 48 in fantasy, fantasy pros, and it's dropping. Um, it, that 48 is too high for me. I mean, for a guy with such a muddled history of injuries. And he's got cryptic tweets and Instagram posts yeah. with comic sans. You know, they only tell you a story that you, you know, so they make me look bad or whatever he wrote. Who uses, who uses comic sans on Instagram? It's, it's ridiculous. Like, it's not a good look. He, you know, I mean, you can't take that seriously. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on. It was mental health using comic sans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it, it seems like relationship has completely soured. The fact that he got his surgery so late, right before the season. I mean, he, he straight up pulled a Scottie Pippen. He is not happy to be there. He's probably pissed that Breeze is gone. And he was, what, a couple of years ago, the highest paid wide receiver in football. So I, I'm worried. I'm worried that he even comes back to the team at all next year. Yeah. The only reason why I'm considering a guy like Michael Thomas is if he drops so low that he becomes a value where you assume you've drafted a team that's going to get you to the playoffs. And then you hope you have, you could add a guy like Michael Thomas in week nine or 10, that's going to be a wide receiver two for you. And, and, or could possibly be a wide receiver one for you that late in the season. That's the only time that I would consider it. I mean, some, some experts are starting to rank him in like the wide receiver 40 to 41 range. And that's pretty low. Um, but right now, based on his ADP, let's play a little game. I'm going to list some guys for you. You tell me if you if you uh, would take Michael Thomas over any of these guys. I'm pretty sure last time I looked, he was getting drafted ahead of each of these individuals. And some of them you'd be shocked to see. And I, and I think some of this data is coming from the, the news before he was injured. Right. Kind of skewing. Because this fantasy pros, the ADP on that is, uh, it's it's uh, it's taking data from. It's probably steadily it's, dropping day by yeah, day too, you know. So, why don't I even pull up the live ADP for this then? Yeah, I mean, Michael Thomas is one of those guys I tried to pick up last year at the end of the season. And it it wasn't great. He didn't score a touchdown. And it was one of those guys that was like, I think he can be, you know, a, a top 10 playmaker based on his history. And he really didn't help my team. He was more of a roster clog and took up a spot. And that's kind of how I view and, him and this you year. you have to play that game. Do I, if he's hurt, like, do I play him this game? Right. If he's 80% or if he's disgruntled. Over him today or like you have those questions constantly and it's just agonizing. So I kind of want to let another team just have that problem completely. He, he might be a guy nine weeks into the season I trade for, but I'm not, I'm not going to hold him. Yeah. I don't think so. All right. I'm interested we'll to see who, who else you pull up next to him. All right. So Robert Woods was getting drafted behind him. That's guy Jesus. No, he's now, now he's one slot ahead of him. Robert Woods has a 49 ADP. Michael Thomas is 50. That's crazy. Cooper cup. No. DJ Moore. No. Jamar chase. Mm, probably not. No, I don't think so. Kenny G, Kenny Galladay. No. Tyler Lockett. No way. Deontay Johnson. No. Uh, Brandon Ayuk. Ben, get, get out of here. <laughs> T. Higgins. Absolutely not. Is Jamar Chase going ahead of T. Higgins right now? Yeah, he is. That is a major gaffe. Wow. I think T. Higgins should definitely be above, above Jamar Chase. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Cl- Chase Claypool. Nope. Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe. Maybe Odell. Odell's one of those guys that, that has the same range of outcomes as Michael Thomas. All right. Now we're getting the conversation at ADP 72. Yeah. Okay. Juju Smith-Schuster? I take Juju. I'd probably take Juju. DJ Chark? Oh, definitely Chark. I love Chark this really? year. Okay. Oh, Chark attack. The injury news. There, there's a little bit of a question about Chark's. Uh, I think he had something pop up. I can't remember what. Uh, I, think, I think he might have broke his hand or something like that. Uh, ah, that's fine. I think. I, I, I don't think he's expected to miss week one though. I'm glad it's not a leg thing. I mean, hands will heal. He's got four weeks or so. So. Yeah. Cor- Corlin Sutton. I'll take Sutton. Tyler Boyd. Oh, I'll for sure take Boyd. I mean, with Joey B last year, Boyd was at a top 20 player before Joey, Joey B went down. Roby Anderson? I'll take Roby still, yeah. Devo Samuel? 
this is one that's thing to that's this is interesting one thing to yeah for me yeah i mean oh, again we have another guy who is huge injury history questions at quarterback so yeah that that's questionable i I like Debo though. I think Debo is kind of a value. I, again, I'm very off of Michael Thomas because yeah, I, I had the experience of, of taking Michael Thomas in the middle of the year. I traded for him and he just burnt me. He absolutely burned me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're maybe a little bit lower than him, but we're, we're pretty close. I mean, I think that Michael Thomas has value as a guy, like I said, that you can plug late into. Quick, into quick the- read off the next five names. All right. Uh, after Debo, after Debo. Jerry, Jerry Judy, Jarvis Landry, uh, Marquise Brown, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Antonio Brown, LaVisca Chenault, and Jalen. Okay, that's that's more of the range. I think I'll take Judy over him, and then Michael Thomas starts getting mixed into that range. I think that that's the range. Yeah. I right. love Jerry Judy's upside too this year. I, I, the advanced metrics on Judy were great in terms of the amount of separation he had and the amount of off targets, uh, off target throws that he received was the, nearly the highest in the league or top five at least. And so I think he's going to be a player who could absolutely explode onto the scene next year. I, and okay. if I, I'm more optimistic if Teddy, we'll, we'll get to this, but if Teddy Bridgewater plays quarterback, cause we talked about how I liked him last year as a Carolina Panther. Yeah. All right. The pick over under nine wins for the New Orleans Saints. Under. Yeah, I'm going under too. I, I look. I love the. I love betting on teams that have a history of winning. Like I'm a Patriots fan. Like it tells you all you need to know. I just I'm confident in those teams, and, and I think that it's it's good. It's gonna be. I think a push here is well in the cards. I think nine wins is kind of right. It's a great line. It's right there in the ballpark of where I see this team because with all the troubles that we've talked about, they're still the New Orleans Saints. They still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Sean Payne. They still have a reasonably decent defense. They brought in Dennis Allen or they have, they, They've had Dennis Allen, a defensive coordinator. He's a very creative guy with a full offseason to prepare. I think Dennis Allen's going to keep this defense with a high floor. I think they're still going to be able to perform it and keep games close. Um, but just with the, the loss of Drew Brees, like I said, a historically excellent quarterback, uh, the drop-off to Winston and Taysom Hill is just too tremendous for me. And and the salary cap troubles, again, an NFC, North, uh, NFC South team with uh, another – bundle of salary cap troubles where they had to take big hits on defense because of that they lost malcolm brown they lost trey hendrickson they lost janoris jenkins they lost alex anzalone and quan alexander those guys all started a combined 57 games for them last season on defense that's a lot of games i mean michael thomas like i said he's out five to six games at least possibly more you know and it's just tough to see how this team can overcome so many obstacles stacked against them i think the better bets under but you know i think nine wins is is within the cards but i don't like the optimism for over that yeah yeah i think that's an apt analysis i feel very very similarly about them okay Next team, the last one in the NFC South, last but obviously not least, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the reigning Super Bowl champions. They were 11 and 5 last year during the regular season. Their over under win total is 12. They're minus 200 to win this division. I don't I I don't see how you could pick any other team besides Tampa Bay to win the NFC South this year. There's really not an oh. opportunity for anybody to overtake Tampa Bay. That, that's easily the biggest lock of the division. I mean, that's easy. so easy. So, 
I mean, did you know that they brought all 22 starters back this year? All 22. From from offense or offense and defense? Oh, no. Wow. Offense and defense. All 22 wow. starters. That's incredible. First, the first time in, in the salary cap era in the NFL that any Super Bowl reigning champion brought back every one of their starters. The continuity is going to be off the charts for this team. We saw the learning curve for Brady and the offense last year. There was a little bit of a learning curve. They started to really hit their stride right around like week 14 last year. Yeah. And Brady said it himself. It took him some time to be able to read this this offense, to be able to read how they wanted to play things. He was more or less a, uh, you know reading the plays off off the wristband. And then you know later in the season, he was able to make, make audibles at the line. He was able to run things that were more apt to his strengths and his abilities. I think we're going to see a easily over 12 wins here for Tampa Bay. Do you see any situation where this turns wrong? Aside from injury. I mean, is that really the only the only hurdle? Yeah, I mean, in injury to Tom Brady, the who's the backup, Kyle Trask. Um, so you're talking about a rookie backup who's never played a snap. So I think that's the only way they get derailed. Tom Brady's ha- how many years above forty now? So I mean, that is a risk factor. Um, but Look, when you talk about that many returning starters, I, again, it's, it's such an starters, easy lock. It's not even the starters. Okay, thirty-one players last year took two hundred st- snaps or more. Last year for the Bucks, all 31 are coming back. All that's incredible. 31. They literally just ran it back. It's yeah. the definition. It's the definition of running it back. And they already won the Super Bowl last year. The only thing I'll throw a wrench into the argument is how lucky that playoff run was last year. How how fortunate they got. A lot of things went their way. They beat the Washington football team by just one score in that wild card round. They beat them 31 to 23. That was a tough game for them. They were eight. They were only uh, leading in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, uh, by two points. It was eighteen to sixteen, late in the third. Um, and Breeze in the NFC Championship game had a myriad of injuries for the Saints in the divisional round. Sorry, did I say the championship game? He faced Green Bay in the championship game. Mm-hmm. They, faced, uh, they faced New Orleans in the divisional round, and the, the Saints did not have Michael Thomas. They had Breeze, uh, who was playing hurt. They uh, The Saints also led 20-13 late in the third quarter. If it wasn't for that Jared Cook fumble, we might be talking about how this team you know, had a little bit of a disappointing season in that first round, go around with Tom Brady. So that Jared Cook fumble was really the linchpin in a historic, you know, cur- uh, tr- what do you call it? Um, trend of events, current, like just progression of events that have occurred from this this one play. If if Cook does not fumble that football, the Saints are probably going to the NFC Championship game, possibly the Super Bowl. Maybe Drew Brees doesn't retire. Tom Brady's looked at differently. You know, the Belichick versus Tom Brady comparisons completely looked at differently. Maybe this team gets deconstructed. Maybe they have some more roster turnover. You're absolutely right. That that is a huge play in the history of the NFL. Yep. Yep. And then the NFC championship camp, championship came against Green Bay. They they had to run the ball a lot. They went 65% run on first downs for a 2.9 yards per carry on a 29% success rate. That's not good. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. It's 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 29% success rate on first down runs is terrible actually. That and is a bad grade. <laughs> it it forced them to be incredibly incredibly reactionary on second downs because they went 75% pass rate on second downs. 
So it's not necessarily a strategy that is uh, set up for sustained success. And they really had an unsustainable success rate on third downs in that NFC Championship game. They had an 86% pass rate. Brady delivered on 7 of 11 on third down for 14.3 yards per attempt and a 64% first down rate. Those are all worldly, all godly numbers. Those are unbelievable on third down. That doesn't happen game in and game out. So it only uh, happens when you're the GOAT. What, right, in, in hindsight, in revisionist history, we look back as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were an excellent team last year. But <laughs> if you can't see, Brett, Cotter's trying to mimic the uh, the Tom Brady instance last year when he couldn't remember what down they were on. Um, <laughs> Just because we're talking about third down Bay. success. They it, it, and we want to talk about how excellent Tampa Bay was last year, and their Super Bowl performance was excellent. But there was a lot of things that broke their way that they were pretty lucky on throughout the season and throughout that postseason run. It was a pretty up and down season, regular season for sure. Well, they were also the most volatile season based on Football Outsiders, um, what do you call it, variable percentage? Like they're they were. 32nd in that in the very the variation percentage in the NFL for the football outsiders. So basically we were just seeing a, a plethora of different performances coming out of Tampa Bay. And so it'll be interesting to see with the continuity, if the offseason to prepare, they now have Antonio Brown to start the season. They know exactly who they're playing with. They know exactly who um, he's going to be staying next to them on the football field for the upcoming season. And they already won a Super Bowl with all these teammates. It, it, I think that that bodes well for their you know their next season but one has to mention all these different things that broke right for them last year yeah i mean uh we have we have an article out right now 10 tips to win your fantasy league and the number one uh tip and it was the same as last year when we published this article is to minimize your risk because this is a season where there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of shifting in teams, coaching changes, quarterback changes. Again, we're dealing with COVID. So a lot is going to be up in the air and teams with continuity, teams that have veteran players running the show are going to perform the best. So for me, this is an easy one where I, I really like the Bucks. I think that continuity that we're talking about, bringing so many starters back and the team, the players who just were impactful will really help this team. They really seem to hit their stride at the end of the year. And I think that carries over. I don't think they're going to have a, a, a lull to begin the year when Tom Brady is your quarterback. I think these guys want to win for him. They know how lucky they are, the opportunity to play with one of the greatest players of all the greatest player of all time in the NFL and you know Godwin Evans Brown Gronk they get OJ Howard back right from injury I mean this team is loaded with weapons yeah certainly I I look I'm 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 in lockstep with you there but let's talk about from a fantasy perspective how this offense is going to look because last year it was a story of two tales through weeks one through 14 the Bucks had a very unexpectedly you know, with Tom Brady as your quarterback, you have Mike Evans as your your and and Chris Godwin as your wide receivers, and you throw Antonio Brown, who's a Hall of Famer most likely in his own right, and then Scotty Miller, who's a pretty excellent wide receiver four option, and then you have Gronk, yeah, yeah. and, and like it, the pass weapons were off the charts for them, and then they decided to run the ball at at a, a league. They were one of the league leaders in, in rush rates in the first quarter. They ran the ball 61% of the time on their first downs. The league average is 55%. So six percentage points above league average on first downs. And, and, and then they gained only three yards of carry. That's the second worst in the NFL. 
And that was weeks through one through fourteen. And then in the last three weeks of the season, they flipped the switch. They let they put the ball in Tom Brady's hands. They put the ball in the hands of the GOAT. They shifted to a 67% pass rate on the first quarter first downs. That's an increase of 39%. And they averaged an 8.5 yards per attempt with a 60 uh, a 57% success rate. So clearly there was a, a realization somewhere that Tom Brady finally figured out this offense and that the uh, the offense definitely boded well when they put the ball in his hands. And we saw some some struggles early on in the postseason where they went back to the the heavy rush. You know, oddly enough, in the postseason, they kind of went back to the, the heavy rush offense. And they were incredibly predictable at times last year. They ran the ball well above league average on first downs and passed the ball way above league average on second and third downs. It's an incredibly reactionary scheme in terms of in terms of you're you're calling plays based on the results of the previous ones instead of having a game plan knowing exactly what you want to do to succeed you're kind of basing your next play on the one that just happened and that's not necessarily a, a trend that you want to see continue so what, what i'm guessing is i i think this year they get back a little bit more to what was successful for them i think we're going to see a big year out of tom brady who's I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not crazy. Am I being too bold and say, what is he, 43 now? He's 43 years old, 40, I think he's 43 years old. I think we're going to see an excellent season at Tom Brady. He's 44. 44 years old. Turned 44 in August. I don't, aside from injury, I don't see why Tom Brady wouldn't have a great season this year. I think we're going to see an excellent year at him. I think they're going to pass the ball heavily. Um, I know they're going to want. They're going to try. There's going to be a, a, a game by game decision, probably um, based on their opponent, whether or not they want to try to help Brady out to keep him healthy. Because Brady's the master at uh, regular season pacing at this point in his career. He knows when to take the get the foot off the gas and kind of coast to the finish line. He knows when it's time to you know take your loss and and, and live to, live to to play another down and, and live to play another game. Um, so I think there's going to be times where maybe the pass offense just isn't worth trying to break it down, but I mean, uh, bust it downfield. So there will be instances where they have a heavy run rate and, you know, the rushing attack is not so, it's not excellent. You know, they brought back Ronald Jones and Leonard Ronald Jones and Fournette. Yeah. Look, they're, they're adequate. They're league average. I think Ronald Jones is actually a little bit above league average, but um, he's a good runner. He's the league yeah. worst as a pass catcher. Yeah, he is. Fournette was more involved last year in the passing game. Um, but with Giovanni Bernard added to the mix, uh, he's not someone I'm drafting this year, but should, uh, you know, if you're banking on Leonard Fournette catching just as many passes, I mean, that's probably not going to be the case. Bernard's probably going to be the third down back catching mm-hmm. uh, plays on third and long for them instead of Leonard Fournette because Fournette yeah. isn't necessarily a, a great pass catching back in his own right. So, um, Yeah, they had, they had a Goomba Wale last year, and Bernard's definitely a step up in terms of pass pass receiving as a running back. Yeah. Um, ben, I think you, you'll be shocked. Do you, do you know Tom Brady's stats from last year? <laughs> Read them off to me. I don't know them off the top of my head. Forty six hundred yards, right? Yeah, four thousand six hundred thirty three yards. <laughs> Forty touchdowns and only twelve interceptions as a forty three year old. Oh my god, it's incredible, dude. It's I mean, what incredible. he was able to do—that's the best. That's the best season out of a forty three year old. I bet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, my it's God. incredible. I mean, it's astonishing. I, I was like, oh, he had a pretty good year last year, right? I mean, I remember him kind of being up and down, putting it together. Then I just looked up his stats. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's going to, he's due for another. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he repeated those stats. Yeah. Brady is, 
it, he's there's just, you run out of words to praise a guy like that. Um, you look at the fantasy perspective, who to draft in the wide receiver core. Look, you can't go wrong with any of these guys. They're all going to be great for you. I think they all have wide rec- upside of like wide. I think Evans and Godwin have upside of like a wide receiver five or six, honestly, with the downside of maybe like at worst wide receiver 17, 18. Probably, almost definitely in the top 20 for both those guys. Antonio Brown, I mean, he could carve out himself a little bit, a decent chunk of offense here too. And uh, you look at the target share spread out between these three guys. Evans last year was 19.8% of the targets. Godwin was 19.2 and Brown was 15.9%. I think that trend, it's a good bet to to, uh, to assume that trend is going to kind of continue for the rest of the way this year. So, look, these guys are all excellent wideouts and I think you could, you, you'd be... Uh, a successful fancy manager to bring at least one or two of these guys into your, into your team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult because it's going to be tough to predict who gets the volume. I don't feel like there were very many games where all three of them were successful. I think it's going to be a little bit of a rotation. So fantasy wise, personally, I'm staying away because of that lack of predictability, but there's going to be volume and there's going to be production. And these guys will win you weeks. Mike Evans will have three touchdowns in a week. Chris Godwin will have double digit catches in a week. You know what I mean? So there, there's definitely point, though, the upside, but they're being tough. drafted. I think like in, from wide receiver like 12 to 16 or like 17 I think between yeah. Evans and Godwin look when you're in that ballpark you're going to be drafting guys that are going to have duds you're going to be drafting guys that give you give you bad weeks occasionally and that's going to happen there's not many guys that are are not prone to a down week and you just got to live with it when you're when you're uh Throughout this fantasy season, you're going to have a down week from a guy here or there. And that's the point of building a balanced roster. You got to hope that the guys around him can kind of keep your team's floor high enough to be winning games where I'm um, winning matchups where your team doesn't quite have it. So we'll see how it plays out. I like both those guys. I like, I mean, like Antonio Brown a little bit. On the tight end situation, I'm staying away from all of them. I think there's no way to discern how that target chair is going to play out with OJ uh, Howard coming back, Gronk's age and injury history, Cameron Brait. And he's actually a pretty talented tight end in his own right i'm avoiding that tight end situation altogether yeah i mean when we're talking about the amount of um targets the wide receivers are going to garner it's going to be way they're just way too far down the line and in the tree to be able to be a sustain it's going to be a boomer bust touchdown situation for all of them definitely all right the over under win total pick we're gonna wrap it up here with the Tampa bay bucks over under 12 wins connor i'm smacking the over on that one I'm bummed I didn't I, – I look, I need the gambling to be legalized in Arizona already. It hasn't been yet. I think September 9th is a target date last time I saw. I, I missed out on the, – the line here was 11.5 maybe a, a few weeks ago. I would feel so much better at 11.5. That I would totally. put some personal dough on that one. Definitely. Uh, Tampa Bay, 12 – I'm picking the over on the 12 win total still though. Uh, the continuity thing is just so huge. I can't believe they brought all 22 starters back. All that roster just – They've they've already won with these guys. They know what it's like mm-hmm. to win a Super Bowl with their teammates, and there's enough can't be said about that. And to make it easier on them, I think the, the NFC South, like I said, is taking a major step back in talent this year. Right. The they fact are, that they don't have to play the Saints, who are fully loaded, those are two extremely challenging games. And I think all three of their division games, when they play these teams twice, right? I mean, I would lock them up all as a win. Yeah, they're expected. the The Bucks are expected to face the the fifth easiest schedule according to uh, win and loss records uh, or projected win totals on this season coming up. The NFC South is just going to be not the same this year without Breeze. Um, 
I just I don't see a path to be I, I, the 12 wins is almost a lock for me. I mean, the 11 and a half, like you said, would be an absolute steal of a line because I just don't see a place where Tampa Bay doesn't win at least 12 games this year. Yeah. All right, yeah. Connor. That's going to do it here. And we to with all all assumptions, we pick the Bucks to win the division, right? Majorly, yeah. <laughs> and um, what what was that? It was like it's minus two hundred. Yeah, to win I, the division. I think that's a great bet. I get it's only a fifty percent gain. You're not doubling your money, but it's just so much of a lock. Even if Brady gets injured, they're the most complete team. You know, sure, for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna. <laughs> so I mean, maybe I don't go for the the twelve wins, but I'll take the division bet. Yeah, I like minus two hundred. Tampa Bay is going to be excellent this year. They really are. That's one I might parlay with another one just to boost the odds on because I think that's so much of a lock of a pick. All right, man. I agree with you there. So we had at least one team that we differed. On. Yeah, and it's not a confident differ either. It's not like I took a stand there. <sighs> oh, man. But I think something has to be said about we're, we're two good minds in football. We have to give our, pat ourselves on the back. We're doing pretty good in our analysis, and I think that something has to be said about you know, us agreeing on things. I think that <laughs> we want, we have to be confident. We have to think we're, you know, we're putting in the work on the, st- the statistical analysis and things are going to work out well for us in our, in our all things analysis. Yeah. Uh, you know, advice and, and while we continue the divisional breakdowns, I'm sure there will be a little bit more things that we disagree on, but I think that we're off to a good start here. Yeah, and we're going to continue to tweak our rankings the more we talk about it because I think it helps us flesh out our own thoughts. I went back to my rankings because I was like, where do I have Michael Thomas? And I have him right around 30. So I, after talking about those names again and running through it with you, he's definitely going to take a few steps back uh, in my rankings for sure. All right, man. That's going to wrap it here for the NFC South analysis, breakdown, season preview. Connor, any last words? I'm... Um, Putting that money down on the Bucks, man. Do the Bucks repeat? Not sure, but I'm locking down the division title. I'm, I feel good about Brady. <laughs> I like it, man. All right. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all of your podcast platforms. Please also go to our website, allthingsanalysis.com. We also have a great YouTube channel. Connor is doing an excellent job with that. Connor, don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? 